Today on Ag News Daily. Farmers are going to be harvesting again uh, this fall, not really knowing what the export market is going to be. Legalization is opening up brand new opportunities to uh, work with this crop the same way people work with other more established crops. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Harnkamp here with the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I am joined today by Mike Pearson. And Mike, I have a correction from a comment that I had yesterday no. with the relocation of the ERS. Um, so actually, the USDA does not have to be approved by the House and Senate. The House just does not want the relocation to happen. Gotcha. So they're trying to find ways to avoid it, but they don't actually have to approve it. So they're complaining, but their complaints might fall on deaf ears is what you're saying. Yes, basically. Aha. Okay. Interesting. All right. So it sounds like ERS and NEFA are headed to KC, barring some sort of unforeseen circumstance that would force them to stay in D.C. Yes. And really, KC, D.C., they're very similar. Yeah, I love Kansas City. I love when we go down there. There's lots of stuff to do. And barbecue. You just don't have exactly best barbecue in the world there right right <laughs> i think you're exactly right about that you nailed it it's definitely you just don't have the monuments right no that's true there's uh probably some monuments down there uh, but kansas city listeners find us on facebook and twitter you can reach us at ag news daily let us know what monuments you got make these dc folk feel more at home let them uh, go visit various monuments around kansas city <laughs> instead of dc it'd be great we're making the world a better place, Madison. That's we really we're are. <laughs> we're doing God's work, frankly. Yes, definitely. Well, you know, Mike, what do you have for news today? Well, I want to kick it off with a story. This one jumped out at me. This is about Purdue Foods. So we talked briefly, well, we've talked quite a bit about Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger, the various mm-hmm. fake meat protein alternatives that have come on the scene over the past few years. Earlier this week, it was released that Tyson Foods is developing their half P, P-E-A, just so everybody's clear, half beef burger. And now Purdue, the chicken company, is jumping into this fray. They say they're going to sell frozen chicken nuggets mixed with cauliflower, chickpeas, and plant protein because they believe there is a growing demand for products combining meat and vegetables. Madison, are you going to jump out there and buy some cauliflower chicken chicken nuggets? No, not really. Um, <laughs> they, I actually think they had those or something like that in the dining centers at Iowa State. And one time, one of my friends, instead of picking up like the regular chicken nuggets, she picked up like the, I don't know if it was just the vegetarian ones or if it was like a mix in, she almost threw up. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> so. she almost threw up. She's an American. That is terrible. And frankly, <laughs> that comes back to, Labeling. This is a discussion that has been going mm-hmm. on for some time in legislatures across the country. How do you label this stuff so that consumers, like your poor roommate, aren't tricked into eating some gross vegetable monstrosity rather than delicious, delicious animal muscle tissue? Exactly, because they can't like say it's a chicken nugget because it's not. Like it has a lot of other stuff in it. Right. That 
it, so it's not a hundred percent like just a chicken nugget. Exactly. It's packed full of fillers. I mean, if yeah. I were Purdue, this is genius because you can buy cauliflower dirt cheap and chickpeas and quinoa, which is what they're also mm-hmm. planning to put in this thing. And then you just yeah, buy a couple of chickens, chop them up, nugget them up and mix them with this stuff. You're stretching that chicken a long way. I mean, realistically, if I'm a food producer, this is one heck of an environment to be in. Because now you're just selling meat products packed full of gross filler, which is, you know, going to be good for their bottom line. Shoot, I'm going mm-hmm. to go long Purdue Foods right now. <laughs> exactly. But and it also the whole thing kind of reminds me of those like fruit snacks and what other what other things is it that they have for kids so they eat more vegetables with like tricking them into like eating vegetables. Fries. Those, yes, those. This is what it reminds me of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they're tricking Americans into eating more vegetables, which isn't good. No, it's not. (laughs) Americans will eat vegetables because some vegetables are absolutely delicious. I had broccoli last night, and it was fantastic. I have had, uh, we're going to do asparagus tonight. It will also be fantastic. Vegetables are excellent. I had bacon and tomato sandwich for breakfast. Vegetables, (laughs) although I think tomatoes technically a fruit. Technically, right? yes, but I still qualify. It's well, a vegetable in my vegetables. head. That, that's what we need yeah. to be eating a lot of exactly. anyway. But they're best paired with meat, but they should be paired with meat on their own separately. Not mixed. Not mixed. Like ranch dressing has all kinds of vegetables in it, probably. Um, Herbs and spices. Okay. Right? I think that's a stretch. I think it's mostly... Milk. Milk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, milk is what we need to eat more of anyway. Yes, definitely. I'm definitely a big supporter of ranch, so. Yeah, because we're from the Midwest, we, you know, we're baptized in it. We just can't help it. You're, you're right. I do know, do know a few people that don't like ranch and they're from Iowa and they're crazy. Well, they're wrong. Absolutely. That's sad and we need to kick them out of the state. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, moving on, Mike, I have another article here related to food. So the, FDA is requesting for an investigation in chemical contaminants in different foods. So this was reported on yesterday, I believe, um, to the Government Accountability Office. And so they're finding different chemicals that are found in like packaging and different processed products in food. So it, they're having the FDA kind of do an investigation to f- get to the bottom of it. So hopefully we can keep an eye on this and make sure that those chemicals that are in like stain resistant fab- fabrics, carpeting, cleaning products, and food packaging are not in our meat, poultry, seafood, and other foods. Yeah. How do how do we think these stain removing products are getting into meat and seafood products? Does it well, say? Yes. So there, they have kind of a, I don't know what they, I don't really know how they explain it, but it's like kind of a, not really a chemical, but kind of to make food so that it's non, so it has non-stick compounds. So it doesn't stick to the pan. Gotcha. Preservative mm-hmm. so, type of thing. Yep. 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 That was the word I was looking for. And, but it's also chemicals that are found in other products that are not edible. So hopefully they can get to the bottom of that. And I believe they are joining 
with the EPA to kind of figure out whose responsibility is responsibility it is to kind of regulate these harmful chemicals and how they come in contact with food and really make sure that it doesn't happen anymore. All right. And at the end of the day, our food supply is phenomenally safe. I'm a big cheerleader for the American food production industry, all the way from the producers to the mm-hmm. processors to the retail stand, the retail stand or and or grocery store. And, uh, you know, we do a pretty good job of keeping a safe food supply. But you're right. If we can make it safer, let's mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. And this is a really small percentage. This isn't, oh, everything is, you know, contaminated. This is just a few things that they found in like, they don't give any brands or anything, but just a few products that it's been detected in. All right. Well, I've got an update as we think about the food production aspect. One of the key components of that is getting the food planted in the fields and then harvested. And to do that, you need tractors and combines. And the Association of Equipment Manufacturers released their flash report, basically their update that comes out monthly on monthly tractor sales. What they say is that the sale of all tractors was up 1% in May compared to 2018. 102,921 tractors were sold, which compares to 96,000 and change sold in 2018. Two-wheel drive, the smaller tractors, which have really been driving this segment, were even compared with last year. 40 to 100 horsepower tractors, kind of that acreage slash uh, livestock producer tractor were up three percent sales of 100 plus horsepower two-wheel drive tractors were up nine percent that was a huge gain and the big four-wheel drive tractors were up two percent the big loser was uh, combines combine sales were down 13 percent year over year and i i gotta say that's not surprising given that a lot of guys might not be combining near as much as they had expected um, in 2018. So thought that was an interesting update. There mm-hmm. is still demand out there for good iron to use on the farm. Well, there you go. And I do kind of, I could see some sales kind of going down and, you know, those numbers kind of fluctuating with the season we're having right now. Absolutely. And Madison, actually, you talk about the season we're having. We've got all kinds of different things happening this season. Mm-hmm. And our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, had a conversation with Chris Clayton, who is the Ag Policy Editor at DTN. And uh, they ran through some of the big issues, talking USMCA, China, fake meat, the farm bill and its implementation, and disaster assistance. So let's jump in and hear Bruce's comments with Chris Clayton right now. The Iowa Cattlemen's Association recently held a series of regional meetings called Beef Meets. I attended one of those meetings. It was a packed house in Cherokee. The keynote speaker was Chris Clayton. Chris is the Ag Policy Editor for DTN and the Progressive Farmer. I had a chance to visit with Chris and asked him about several issues facing the beef industry, starting with the USMCA trade agreement. No, uh, the agreement really is the USMCA, and you know everybody's pushing to get it ratified, but it still has to be submitted to Congress. And once you submit it to Congress, then it takes at least 30 days before it can even move through the committee process. So, you know, we're still all waiting for that. Everybody's yelling for Congress to ratify an agreement they don't have yet, you know, and that, that's really really a problem there. You know, you think that. 
will eventually get through? Do you think uh, with the uh, all the backstabbing going on in, in Washington that it will get through? Well, it'll eventually get through, but the longer it waits, the more you get into the presidential season and the more, mm-hmm. you know, nasty things become. Uh, right now, the, if they were to submit the bill, submit it this week as a bill, they might maybe possibly get it ratified by before the August break. But if you miss this week, probably, then it's going to look, it's going to push into September. Then you really get into the fall fights. uh, And, uh, again, the presidential race heats up. It becomes more complicated. Now we get into China. China is is back and forth. One week it looks pretty good, and the next week it just all breaks down. Uh, What's your take on where, where that's going? Well, this is going to be a long-term deal, and farmers are going to be harvesting again uh, this fall, not really knowing what the export market's going to be. Trump is supposed to possibly meet with Xi uh, sometime in July in the next G20 meeting, and we'll see what happens out of that. But I get the feeling this is going to be much more of a long-term prospect, uh, and, and these tariffs will continue on. The big pressure point for most consumers comes a lot of the things that were were exempted last year will be tariffed this year, and you're talking about all these consumer goods that are bought in the fall uh, leading up to Christmas, and this is when it becomes real complicated for your average American consumer. Another issue that uh, is gaining some traction out here, especially with the cattlemen, is the fake meat issue. Uh, what is going on in Washington with that? Are they, are they making some headway on regulations there? Well, you've got... Depending on what it is, you know, you've got two different things. Uh, you've got the vegetarian varieties, and then you have the lab meat varieties. Now, USDA and FDA have come out to set some regulatory guidelines on the uh, lab meat varieties. Uh, there's no real regulatory issue with the, uh, the vegetarian varieties because those are regulated by FDA anyway. But USDA and FDA are going to sort this out. Amongst themselves, the big issue, I think, now becomes all of the states passing these different laws about labeling meat. And I think that becomes much more complicated because once you get uh, the big packers and everybody investing in these companies, they're not going to want to call it something other than meat. What about other issues going on in Washington right now that affect agriculture, specifically the cattle industry? Well, the farm bill is still being implemented, and uh, you've got a lot of regulatory issues going around with that. The the big issue uh, for cattlemen and that they really pushed on in the farm bill was to get more disease preparedness uh, for livestock industry and also a vaccine bank created. Well, the funding hasn't been provided for the vaccine bank. USDA hasn't really moved much in this regard yet. There was a hearing about that a couple weeks ago. Some members of Congress were a little annoyed that they felt things were going kind of slow. They're concerned that, you know, nobody wants to see a a livestock disease show up in the United States. It doesn't just affect cattle. You're talking about pork, and they're very concerned about uh, African swine fever uh, affecting, showing up. So uh, the animal disease issues are, are still very much a concern because, you know, it takes a lot of, science and technology to to do that the disaster relief bill uh, has uh, gone through has been signed uh, what is in that bill that will help cattlemen 
Uh, there's more money for emergency conservation assistance for cattle producers in that bill, things such as that nature. The problem with it is that USDA was given $3 billion. Well, you've got wildfires in California that were affected. You've got a couple of hurricanes in the southeast last year. You've got the Midwest flooding this year that continues to grow and become a problem. So they've got to spread a lot of money over a wide area of the country and figure out what's equitable. Um, you've got a lot of crop farmers who lost grain, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I don't think they raised any livestock indemnity protections in that bill, but they did add more money for some of the conservation programs that livestock producers use. There are a lot of issues facing not only cattlemen, but agriculture in general. That's Chris Clayton. He's the Ag Policy Editor for DTN and the Progressive Farmer. For Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Bruce. That is an interesting update. There are so many things happening in this industry. And, Madison, I've actually got an update. Uh, Commerce Department released earlier today the news that retail sales roads five-tenths of a percent, so half a percent last month, just kind of right in line with economists' expectations. Mm -hmm. And um, they showed that really data for April saw retail sales up three-tenths of a percent instead of dropping 2%, which was what was initially reported. And that made the U.S. dollar a little stronger, which means, of course, that exporting grains and agricultural products is a little more expensive for our export partners. So that strong dollar is going to be a headwind we'll have to contend with in ag probably for the rest of this year. Well, there you have it. How about you, Madison? What other news do you have? I just have one last article here, and it is actually about the production of hemp. Again, we've kind of seen this starting to grow in the ag industry. And I have a report from Reuters that... This year, industrial hemp plantings could actually double from last year's acres. And last year, there was 78,176 acres seeded. And this year, they're expected to double because of the more of the like legalization of hemp and um, CBD oil. So sales of hemp could actually reach almost... $1.9 billion by 2022 with the growing market. You know, it's incredible. The hemp market is absolutely insane from hemp production to marijuana Mm -hmm. to CBD oil. And actually, Madison, it's funny you bring that up because that's our interview for the day. We'll be talking to Kristen Nichols from Hemp Industry Daily and getting the real on-the-ground look at what's going on while she's at the Hemp Industry Conference down in Nolens this week. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And I know they really kind of focused on this article, especially with kind of all of the trade going on. That's actually a big reason of why U.S. farmers are really looking towards this industry and um, planting more of the hemp and everything. Um, And also with the help with of the 2018 Farm Bill, which actually did remove hemp from the um, Federal Drug Enforcement Administration's list of controlled substances. So, absolutely, lots so, of yeah. things are going hemp's way. That's for sure. And yes, when we talk to Kristen Madison, you'll hear she is very enthusiastic about this mm-hmm. industry and its potential.
Yes, and I do think it has a lot of potential. I actually have um, one uh, another girl that's in my sorority that I'm pretty good friends with. She is in an internship in Indiana, and they were doing kind of um, uh, not really crop scouting, but kind of crop scouting a hemp field. And she was like, "I feel like this is wrong. Like I don't feel like I should be here. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> this is weird." Um, but she said it is really cool to kind of see how this industry is changing and what other uses it can be used for. That is awesome. Well, I tell you what, Madison, if you're out of news, I'm out of news. Let's talk markets and let's dive right into some hemp uh, research. What do you say? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, it's another volatile day in the markets today. Utilize a marketing plan. Listeners, if you don't have one, if you need help sticking to it, call our friends at Zaner. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or reach them on the Internet at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. In the grains, it is green all down the screen today. September corn up ten and a half cents at four fifty eight and three quarters. The December contract up seven and three quarters to close the day at four sixty three and a half. In soybeans, the August was up eight and a half cents at nine oh three, north of nine dollars, ladies and gentlemen. While November was up eight and a quarter to close the day at nine twenty three and a half. In Chicago wheat, the September contract was up three cents on the day at five forty two even. December up three and a half, finished at five fifty three and and a quarter. Jumping over to livestock, as you would expect, with that much strength in the grain market, the uh, livestock markets kind of took it on the chin. August live cattle down 45 cents at 104.2750. The October down 67.5 to finish at 105.4750. In feeder cattle, the August contract down 70 cents at 135.52.5. September also down 70, closed the day at 135.80. In lean hogs, the July was off $2.25, $2 finished at 81 with the August down $2.20 to close at 80 62 and a half. Taking a quick look over to the dairy market in Class 3 milk today, the June contract dropped four cents at 16.27, with the July down three, finished the day at 16.84. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our friend Kristen Nichols from Hemp Industry Daily. Well, for those of you that couldn't make it down to this year's hemp conference going on in New Orleans. We've got on Kristen Nichols, who's the editor of Hemp Industry Daily. Kristen, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so stoked to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we get right into it here, tell us what is Hemp Industry Daily? What are you guys doing to talk about hemp? Oh, yeah. Work a B2B, so we write for the entire hemp supply chain. So we are writing for growers, producers, processors, manufacturers, retailers, everybody uh, but the consumer. We're writing, if you are in the hemp space or you're in this business at all or want to get into it, that's who we're writing for. We're a business trade publication focused on one crop, hemp, and all of its many products. It's fascinating. And, you know, we spoke, I think it's been a, a year or so ago, Kristen, in that time, the hemp industry as a whole has been uh, legalized, I mean, to, to grow hemp in the fields. We've seen medical marijuana continue to grow. We've seen all of this excitement in that particular field. Bring us up to speed. What are you most excited about over this past year of changes that have happened? I'm excited about hemp bringing the entire cannabis plant into broader acceptance. As we know, as many of us know, hemp and marijuana are the same plant. 
Uh, they're kind of different varieties of the same plant, sort of like different varieties of roses or different kinds of potatoes. Um, and what I think hemp legalization is doing is not only opening unimaginable opportunities uh, for farmers uh, to grow a new and exciting cash crop, it's also opening opportunities for people to take a new look at cannabis Different ways it can be used is more than just a drug that makes you high. There's all kinds of things you can do with the plant. And what I'm excited about is seeing how legalization is opening up brand new opportunities to uh, work with this crop the same way people work with other more established crops. It's kind of like uh, if you could exist 100 years ago before we knew much about a lot of things, it'd be really on the ground floor. But, but with today's technology, if you care about plants and you care about agriculture, this is the most exciting place to be. It is definitely an up-and-coming industry. We just saw Texas become the 45th state to pass hemp for production purposes. Where does it sit then from a regulatory standpoint? I know we're still maybe unsure of how we regulate hemp as a crop. Do you have any insight on, into how that's going to move forward? Absolutely. Texas is fascinating. Um, one, uh, I'm a Southerner. One thing that's been interesting about watching uh, this year is that a lot of Southern states not really interested in hemp uh, when it's a pilot project. But then when you tell Southern states, well, if you don't do it, the federal government will do it for you. All of a sudden, there's more interest in, okay, well, maybe we should just figure this out on our own. One, many, one of many things that's interesting about Texas, um, a lot of the hemp that we're growing now, these are cultivars that were kind of developed in northern climates, in Canada, in the EU for fiber and grain production. You bring those uh, to the southern latitudes with much shorter day-night cycles or much shorter days in the summer uh, and much warmer temperatures, in some cases a lot more water. That's not the case in Texas, of course, but some places a lot more water. Um, we're really on the ground floor of learning what kind of what, what uh, varieties of this plant work, how profitable it can be. Some folks want uh, Texas to be uh, kind of a uh, three-harvest state. They say, oh, it's so warm here, you can get three, three crops of hemp in. But that's really unclear. Uh, other southern states, like Florida, even Hawaii, have really struggled to find uh, cultivars that work in their warm climates. Yeah, you know, it's interesting after... 80-some years, hemp is back in the conversation. It's back in fields. It, it hasn't had the same genetic support or the genetic research that we've seen with corn and soybeans, so it is going to take some time. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting work. I remember being at the University of Kentucky a couple years ago, and they were looking at hemp and talking about shattering. That's a problem where uh, you're trying to grow a plant for seed, and uh, the plant drops the seeds, when the birds want them or when it wants to, not when the farmer wants them to. And I remember an agronomist from the University of Kentucky saying, you know, this was bred out of other plants so long ago, we don't know how they did it. So when I say it's a very exciting time for anybody that cares about plants, it is. It's very exciting, and we're absolutely working from ground zero, uh, bringing um, all the modern science and agronomic research to something that has frankly just been in the black market, grown in people's basements, for so long. <laughs> That's funny. Growing in people's basements, which is probably not far from the truth. Kristen, tell us a little bit more about the conference going on this week in New Orleans. You're currently there, as I understand it. Yeah, we have a three-day show to, frankly, there's a lot of, we're co-located with Marijuana Business, MJ BizCon next. This is for marijuana producers. 
a lot of marijuana producers are getting into hemp. They want to be legal. And when you're a legal crop, you can access all the kinds of things that are not available in the black market, things like crop insurance or finding intellectual property protection for uh, kind of the traits you're working on. I was just in a session about harvest technologies and how to find machine equipment that can do what most people have been doing by hand in the basement or in backyards. Uh, this is really new for this industry. So there's so much need for education among these people. And even and so it's really interesting. I jokingly say I'm either talking to farmers who don't know a lot about cannabis or cannabis people who don't know anything about farming. So there's a lot to learn from both sides. It's really kind of fun to see the two sides come together. Absolutely. And so now this is the first Hemp Industry Daily Conference. And what what when you decided to put this event together, what was really on your mind? What what were you hoping to accomplish? What is a success in your mind? Okay, I think the success is to identify that it's its own distinct variety of the plant with its own distinct business challenges. For a long time, hemp has been seen, industrial hemp has been seen as kind of the weird, wacky, boring cousin of marijuana, like hippies that don't know how to grow good pot are growing it. Uh, nobody else is growing it. And so for a long time, kind of if you hemp education was kind of, you know, at, at fairs and festivals that were mostly focused on marijuana. And there's also this hemp um, for these hippies that, you know, want to talk about how it can save the world. And it's kind of always been a sideshow. And so I think what's exciting about bringing its own show, and it's not just us, although, of course, ours is the best. I'm joking. But there's a, a lot more hemp-exclusive events that are not all about pot or pot scoring cousins. They're not all about, you know, how to escape law enforcement. It's about, really, what are the distinct business issues about this new crop that are totally new and don't exist in marijuana, maybe don't exist in other ag, to, to bring the, the kind of education and networking that this industry has never had. And one of the things that the industry has is, is really been revved up by is the CBD oil or the CBD retail sales. Can you explain to our listeners exactly what CBD products are and how they're derived from hemp? Sure. Okay. So uh, the hemp plant, it's a, your, your uh, audience will know it's a dioecious plant. That means there's uh, guys and girls. Most plants are not dioecious, but uh, cannabis is. And what's truly weird about the cannabis plant is that when you take the dudes out, the females start freaking out. They're like a middle-aged woman on eHarmony. They're convinced they're going to die. Alone <laughs> and, and why, is no one, why is no one pollinating me? And they start to panic and they start to make these chemicals called cannabinoids. The cannabinoids are not hormones, but that's an easy way to think of them. They're kind of freaking out. These girls are like, I'm going to die. No one's going to pollinate me. <laughs> and they start making these, these chemicals called cannabinoids. And you can take those out of the flower. Um, one of them is THC, which a lot of people are familiar with. It gives you a euphoria feeling. You smoke it and burn it. Uh, but there's also other chemicals that are cannabinoids, too. And CBD is a different one of them. It um, is, is prized because it doesn't make you impaired. It, it is psychoactive. For a lot of people, it can work to make you less anxious or it can make you feel more at ease. That's, that is considered a psychoactive property. But it doesn't make you, for example, like I can, I can drive a car. I can care for my kids. I, uh, I, I'm not going to fail a drug test necessarily if I'm only taking CBD. So there's a lot of interest in kind of the good stuff about what people think about cannabis with none of the downsides, meaning I'm impaired. I shouldn't drive a car. I shouldn't, you know, 
uh, go, can't go to work, that kind of thing. So uh, CBD products, it's a molecule that's going into all kinds of things. It's a fat-soluble molecule that can be blended into cosmetics, foods, drinks. I feel like almost every day there's some new kind of CBD product I never even contemplated before um, that people are making now. It's at uh, Kroger stores and CVS and Walgreens. People are finding a lot of value for it, but there's still a lot we don't know. So I think uh, kind of consumers are way ahead of the science here. People say sometimes, what is CBD? Well, it's a molecule. What does it do? You kind of, we're still relying on testimonials and consumer thoughts about what it does more than real science. I think that's going to come, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet, but you guys have an interesting projection. I read it, read on your website or in a press release or something about the future of the hemp industry and specifically the CBD retail sales. I think the number you mm-hmm. quoted is a billion dollars in the U.S. this year and four billion dollars in retail sales by 2020. That is a huge projection. How or or what justifies that big number? Sure. Well, let me tell you, we have just we had we've raised this projection three times since the farm bill passed. We're now up to about eight billion by 2023. Oh, geez. Uh, what you do when, whenever I know when first of all, there's no perfect way to project any market, right? But what, how we're projecting is that we think that most CBD is used like a nutraceutical or like a vitamin supplement, like a nutritional supplement. Um, so we compare. If you look at, there is good data around things like uh, probiotics, fish oil those kinds of uh, nutritional supplements. So we kind of mark, trigger it to kind of something like, how does a probiotic sell? How does something like uh, echinacea sell? And if you compare it to the kinds of things like that, and then you see the market penetration, again, we're seeing it in some more big box retail. We're seeing it in conventional shopping malls. We're seeing it in uh, you know, a lot of convenience stores. I was recently at a convenience store chain and projecting, you know, 100,000 convenience stores. Everybody wants a piece of this to replace lost income from tobacco. Um, so it really, there's wide differences in different projections of how big CBD is going to get. I always jokingly say we're all wrong because uh, no one knows where this market is going to go. Is it fish oil or it's a, it's a consumer trend that the bubble burst in a couple of years? Or does this become something that, uh, you know, is going to be a major part of everybody's diet? That's too soon to say. So you have to make a lot of projections and guess. But certainly we're seeing dramatic, dramatic uh, increase in the marketability and the market interest in CBD. People who buy it usually buy it again. Um, so we really are seeing no, not today, sorry, it's unfair to say there's no limit. But we're seeing a very high ceiling. And I think that there's certainly, I remember when you would be crazy for saying this was going to be bigger than marijuana. But I think there's a broad acceptance now that certainly CBD is going to be bigger than the marijuana market. It's it's incredible to watch. It's un, it, it, what amazes me is listening to people who I, I would never have assumed or would never have dreamed would be interested in consuming a hemp or marijuana derivative product. Just talking nonchalantly about CBD, and you know we're going to get some CBD gummies and we're going to go to Walgreens, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Kristen, your your enthusiasm for this industry is absolutely uh, contagious. Tell us a little bit if our listeners are interested in jumping into the world of hemp. How can they follow along with Hemp Industry Daily? Where can they go to continue to stay up to date on all the things that are happening in this industry? Okay, we've got a website like everybody does, hempindustrydaily.com. 
www.hempinfo.com. There's also many great advocacy groups in this space, like the Hemp Industries Association, where they have information like, uh, if you want to grow, uh, can you find a processor or, or webinars to learn about new aspects of the industry. Just Google hemp. And you will find so many resources. And one cool thing, I've covered a lot of industries, and one cool really big takeaway from hemp that is so cool is how excited everybody is to help each other. Really, wherever you are, whatever county, whatever state you are, everyone is excited about this crop. Everyone wants to help their neighbors learn more about it. You're going to find resources even in the most rural areas, even in places where you think this is not going to grow. You're going to find someone that wants to help you start your business. So really start there. Check Hemp Industry Daily, and uh, we're always interested to hear what's going on in the field. Fantastic. Kristen Nichols, the editor of Hemp Industry Daily. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and good luck with the conference this week. Hopefully you continue to get that information and education out to the interested folks. Thanks so much for having me. I hope to hear from you soon. Well, a big thank you to Kristen Nichols. I hope that uh, the education process continues to go on down there at the Hemp Industry Conference. There is so much to learn about this industry from all of the growers who are excited about planting it to, you know, all the processors. How can they extract more dollars from that Really, that CBD oil that is kind of driving that market right now, Madison, it is fascinating stuff. It really is, Mike. And, you know, we don't really know how this industry is going to play out. And it's it's going to be exciting to watch. It is. It's certainly. Well, you know what else is exciting, Madison? What is that, Mike? <laughs> Interacting with Ag News Daily on yes, Facebook definitely. and on Twitter. And they can do and Instagram. search and Instagram. You're right. Millennials, we're reaching out to you now. <laughs> now, Madison, so they can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter. How can they find us on Insta? I don't know how the heck you work that. So you can just search Ag News Daily and it'll pop up. Um, and you can kind of see what different posts we have there. And next week we'll have a post going up kind of explaining how we want to share what our listeners are doing on their operations and what they're doing in the industry. So send us our, your pictures. Let us know what you're doing and we can feature you on Instagram and Facebook and even Twitter. Fantastic listeners, do that. If you can't find us on Instagram, you can always find us on the web. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. If you listen to us on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, be sure to give us a like. Give us a comment if you feel up to it this weekend. We would certainly appreciate it. We'd love to have feedback. And with that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 